0: we have a guy who came back from the mission field in North Korea. And he was out there with BMS for many years. And he used to tell me some stories about his time on the mission field in North Korea. And one of the stories was the time that the uh, government came out to inspect the farms, the collective farms where they do the mass farming together. And one of the guys on the farms was a believer. And he must have had a wee bit of an Irish streak in him because he was quite cheeky. So the commissioner came to visit the farm and, and he said to the farmer, Tell me, sir, how many potatoes do you have here? And the farmer said, If we got all the potatoes in this farm together and piled them all up in a big, massive pile, they would reach up into the very heavens or even more than what LBC has for lunch, and they would touch the foot of God. Now, the commissioner wasn't happy about this all because North Korea is a communist state with no God. And the commissioner said to him, Excuse me, sir, there's no such thing as God in North Korea. The farmer said, That's okay, because there's no potatoes either. (laughs) You know why I'm here, and I know why I'm here this morning, but I want you to forget that. As we gather this morning, I want to give you potatoes. I don't want to give you me, and just forget about me this morning. I want to talk about somebody who is amazing, somebody who is altogether lovely, somebody whose love for you is greater than all the powers and forces of darkness and heartache in this world. I want to talk about somebody who has created this whole universe. As we drove in this morning, it's lovely to see the frost, And the, maybe it's not for you, but for me it's lovely to see the frost and the ice and to know that right down to that small fragile thing, each bit of frost is unique. A creator who has made all things. Somebody whose power upholds the universe by his very word. Somebody who made you and me. Made you and me good, made you and me to be in fellowship. Somebody who was in the beginning. Before time even began, he was there. And he was in close fellowship with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in him was life. Full, abundant, vibrant life. We talked on about how he was the one who raised the dead. What a power. What amazing power! He stood at his friend's grave and said, Lazarus, come forth. And as one commentator beautifully says, had he not said, Lazarus, come forth, all the graves in Jerusalem would have emptied. Isn't that amazing? I want to talk about him this morning. And his life was the light that shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. For 2,000 years of our history past, there has been one figure who has strode across the pages of history. Capitalism hasn't bought him out. Communism hasn't put him down. Emperors and kings and princes and potentates and dictators, none of them have stopped his march across the pages of history for 2,000 years. His light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome him. And no matter how grim and bleak and dark our times may seem, this light still shines. And the amazing thing about this light was in verse 9 there, the true light which gives light to everyone. Don't you want to know about him? This light is coming into the world. He's coming to us in our darkness, in our gloom. the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. He came into the world. He came that we would know about Him. He came that we would believe in Him. I shared it with the kids there, John 20, verse 30 and 31. These things are written that you, brothers and sisters, that you, friend who dwells in darkness, that you, friend who feels heartbroken and isolated, that you may believe in Him. And in believing in Him, you may have life. Don't you want that? And He came into the world. Now, I don't know about you, friends, but do you ever argue with the TV and the radio? Do you ever do that? You're sitting in the car, and somebody says something, and you start arguing with them. I mean, there's no... I'm sure there was a few fellas in households last night arguing with the TV. That's all I'm going to say about that. That should have been a penalty, but that's... Do you ever argue with the TV or the radio? There was a song that used to come on years ago, and it used to really get in my goat. That's a Scottish thing for annoying me. Do you remember that song, What If God Was One of Us? Just a stranger on a bus, trying to make his way home. Do you remember that? I'll not sing it to you, don't worry. And I used to say, but he was. He was one of us. God, the creator, the sustainer, the light that shines in the darkness, the one whom we want to ask questions, the one whom we want to know even though we hide from him, he came into the world and the world was made through him. Everything was made through him. Turn around and look at each other there. Don't scream. (laughs) Yous were made by him, and we're all unique in here, aren't we? Thank God, says some of us. We're all unique. And there's about eight billion of us on this planet. And that's just at this phase in history. He made the world. He created everything. The beauties of Lincolnshire, which is the second nicest part of the world compared to Northern Ireland. He made all that. He made it good. He made it right. He made it beautiful. The world was his. It was his creation. He had rights as the creator. And yet the world did not know him. It's been lovely hearing the worship team today. You guys play lovely. But as I know on music, sometimes when you play it, sometimes you hit a bum note, don't you? And that sets the whole thing off. There's clashing dissonance in the music. Not you guys. I mean, this happens sometimes. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, well, that's that ruined. Isn't it? And so it is here. And this beautiful, one comment here says, John's gospel is like a grand symphony when it starts up the opening scenes. And here we have a clashing dissonance. This light, this joy, this hope, this love, this creator, this one who made us, this one who sustains us, this one who cannot be overcome, has come into the world. And the world, the translation better reads, the world chose not to know him. In fact, it gets worse. I read this passage, and it's it's a hard one, isn't it? He came to his own, and his own people did not know him. Imagine you go home today. You go home to your house, and you're looking in the window, and you see your family, your friends sitting in the house. They're nice and warm. They're talking away. They've got a cup of tea. They've got all sorts of food, and you go to open the door and the door's locked. You think, that's strange. You walk around and you bang the window and they see you and they walk towards the window. You think, great, they're going to let me in and they pull the blinds down and leave you out there. That wouldn't be very nice, would it? That's what that text means there. The word for he came to his own, the Greek actually says he came to his own things, which doesn't sound very nice, does it? Barnabas, you're newly married, never call your wife a thing. Just there's a bit of advice for you. (laughs) he came to his own things, came to his own home, to the people who should have been waiting for him, to the people who had prophecies like Isaiah chapter 9, that unto us a child would be born, whose government government would rest upon his shoulders, that he would be the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace, that the virgin would conceive and give birth. They knew this was to happen. but because of the age-old problem of humankind, they chose not to know him. And we know all this started way back in the garden in Genesis, did it not? When God made us again, the creator who made us good, who put us in a beautiful garden in Eden and made us to have fellowship with him unhindered access to the living God in paradise. And what did we do? God, we know better than you. You tell us not to eat from this tree of good and evil. We know better than you. And like teenagers and children who think we know better than our parents, we rebelled. And that's where sin enters in. Sin, we always talk about the fruits of sin, that what looks like theft, murder, all that. But the heart of sin, the heart of this rejection, the heart of this darkness and this rejection of God is that, that we do not want him to be God over us. That we do not want to know him that we don't want His light to shine into our lives, so that we would rather live without Him, thank you very much, because we know better than Him. And what a wonderful job we've made of it over human history. C.K. Chesterton, the famous author of the Father Brown, have you seen the Father Brown series? C.K. Chesterton, there was a letter in the Times, I mean, it would be wonderful, the Times newspaper conducted theological debates nowadays. And somebody had written an article in the Times saying, what's wrong with the world? C.K. Chesterton wrote a letter and simply said this, I am, yours sincerely, C.K. Chesterton. Because all of us in a rebellion against God, all of us are turning our back on Him, have broken that primal fellowship that we were made for. We were made to know and love and enjoy God. God's not a killjoy. He's not boring. He's immensely amazing and beautiful. We've sung that you're altogether lovely, altogether wonderful to me. His love is more powerful than the sun that heats us from millions of miles away. I like reading. Anyone here like reading? A few readers. Have you ever read a really, really good book and you've been engrossed in the book? You're sitting in your chair, you've got a cup of tea beside you, things are great. Have you ever done that? Nobody's called you, the phone's grand, and you're reading and you're reading and you're reading and you're reading and and before you know it, it's evening time. And your wife comes into the room and says, How can you read in the dark? And she turns the light on and your eyes just explode. Does that happen to anyone else here? You're sitting reading, you're so engrossed, you don't realize how dark it's become until the light has shined. And that's the problem with Jesus. That's why the world shuns him. That's why the world rejects him. And it says this later on in John's Gospel, a lot of John's themes flow from chapter one throughout the rest of the book. And one of the themes is this, Jesus talks about it to Nicodemus, this is the judgment of the world. The light has come in and men and women prefer darkness to the light. And the darkness increases, the rejection increases. You see this even as a fact of history. Last week, Mal and I had the privilege of getting to Jerusalem and we stood at the Western Wall in Jerusalem and it was quite a moving experience, but it's also a heartbreaking experience. Because there you stand and you hear the prayers and the cries of the people of Israel. And what better prayer could they actually say than, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and free thy captive Israel. And you see the burden of the law upon them. And I was praying at the West, Wall, I said, "Oh Lord, may these people know one day that they can sing, Rejoice, Rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee. What of Britain? This nation that's had the gospel preached up and down it, We've had the Wesleys, the Spurgeons, the Whitfields, the Lloyd-Joneses. We've had the gospel preached here too, and yet we see people preferring the darkness. It's a grim situation, is it not? But then comes verse 12 to 13. And look at the verse 12 there with me. Can anyone tell me the most important word there in verse 12? Is anyone going to be brave enough? Good man, you have listened to Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones, there was a famous preacher, would go around the country, and in that beautiful Welsh accent of his, he would preach, and the first thing he would preach was the darkness, the sin, the problems of the world, be it war, be it famine, he would preach that, and he would paint a picture so bleak, as only a Welshman can do, really, or a Scotsman, a picture so bleak. And he was right. Without God, we do see the bleakness of the world, do we not? The breakdown in relationships, the disharmony. And then he would pause, and then he'd say, but but God, but God. Because friends, even though the darkness is deep and increasing in our society, the light still shines and the darkness is not overcome. It. And God is still about his work of bringing men and women to himself, but God. I love that. How many of you in your own life could say that? Where you've prayed and things have been really dark and grim, but God answered your prayer. Or you've been in heartache and hardness, You've wondered, how am I going to get out of this situation? But God. But God. I love that, isn't it? But God. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. Isn't that amazing? Who were born of, not of the blood or the will of the flesh nor the will of man, but of into the darkness, into despair, God reaches in with his amazing love, his amazing grace, and he fills a heart with his Holy Spirit. And they are born not of decision or will of the man, but born again of God. Jesus would talk about this in John 3, born again the living hope. What does it mean to be born again? It means the Spirit of Christ comes into us and fills with his love, his joy. The Father and the Son make their home within us and we are transformed within by the life and the power of God. That should be enough to turn a few bleak situations around, shouldn't it? How does this look in our own lives, but you may be sitting here this morning saying, Well, Daniel, that's great. God does this by his miraculous sovereign grace and intervention, but but surely it requires something, does it not? Surely we must respond to this amazing love, should we not? And you're right, friend, this morning if you're here in church and you want to know God, you want to love him, let me give you a story. Alistair Begg uses this illustration, and I love it, and I'm unashamedly going to pinch it off him. He talks about the thief on the cross. He says, imagine the scene in heaven. The thief on the cross, the guy who a few minutes before was cursing at our Lord. He had never been to a Bible study, had never been to a church meeting. And he's going off at Jesus' end at the last minute. He says, Lord, remember me in paradise. And the next thing, he's in heaven. And one of the angels goes up to him and says to the thief on the cross, what are you doing here? Guy's like, I don't know. The angel's like, what do you mean you don't know? Guy's like, I don't know. So the angel does what everyone does in those circumstances and goes and gets his manager. So the manager comes and says to the thief on the cross, excuse me, sir, there seems to be a problem here. Uh, How did you get here? Guy says, I don't know. He says, well, let's ask a few questions. What's your opinion on the doctrine of Scripture? Guy's never heard of it. Okay, that's right. What do you think about justification by faith? The guy says, I don't know. They ask the last question Have you been to Lincoln Baptist Church? The <laughs> guy says, No. And in sheer frustration, the angel says to him, By what means are you here? The man says, The man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. Brothers and sisters, To be born again to a new living hope is a miraculous, supernatural work of God that he does upon us when he brings us into the family of God. But we also respond by faith for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know how that mystery works out in the human responsibility and the sovereignty of God. I believe both of them. But when we cry out with our heart, Lord, save me, he reaches down and saves us. The man on the middle cross said each one of us could come regardless of background, regardless of age, regardless of anything at all. In fact, the only qualification you need to come to Jesus Christ is that you're a sinner. Friends, you may be offended at me by saying this, but I think we all feel that justification, don't we? So we can all come. Born not of the will of the flesh, but born of God, into the family of God, and he bestows upon us the right to be children of God. If you were in problems at four o'clock in the morning, who would you call? Would you call Richard? For Richard, I thought. Four o'clock in the morning, you've woken up and there's a tremendous problem. Who, don't call Ghostbusters, by the way. But who are you going to call? There's probably one or two people I would call. Firstly, if, if Malin was with me, I would wake her up. But if it was by myself, there's one person I would call and I know at four o'clock in the morning, he would answer and it's my dad. Friends, when you're born again to living hope, you're born into the family of God, and God the Father is your heavenly Father. We were in Jerusalem last week. It was actually lovely to hear. The kids running around the park were saying, Abba, Abba, which is the Hebrew. It's not quite as informal as Daddy, and it's not quite as formal as "Daddy." It's, or as formal as Father. It's somewhere in between. When we're born again, we're given the Spirit of God to cry, Abba, Father, to our heavenly Father. So Christian friend, this morning, if you're here, I, want, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you two will be encouraged and remember the joy and the privileges you have to be part of the family of God. Are you going through grief this morning? Are you walking through that valley of deepest darkness? He will walk with you and he will not leave you nor forsake you. You worried about the future? Are you thinking, what's going to happen next? No, I am. Sorry. <laughs> All the way, my Savior leads me. And there's that beautiful quote. Now, do you remember the outbreak? Well, some of you might, re- actually, better not say that. I was going to say some of you might remember the Second World War, but I better not say it. At the start of the Second World War, King George gave a broadcast to the nation. And he quoted a poem, and I'm, I'm going to try and remember it, so if I get it wrong, please don't tell me off. It was basically this. The guy standing, the watchman standing at the start of the year, asked for a candle so that he may see the way. And the watchman replied said, "I'll give you a candle. Go out into the darkness, but put your hand in the hand of God, for it's a better and surer guide than the light. He's with you. You're part of the family of God, and that also means that we are brothers and sisters to each other. I remember before I was a Christian when I was first saved, you would go to churches and um, you'd hear these guys say, "Oh, hi, your brother. Hi your sister." And yes, it usually wasn't an American accent, and you'd think, "What are they talking about?" But when we're born again to the family of God, we're brought in to be brothers and sisters to each other. And like in Baptist church, I'm, not just, I'm just saying this now because seeing you this morning, the love and the fellowship and the support here is beautiful to see. Keep doing it. This they shall know the love they have for one another in the family of God. This isn't like Westminster. They don't love each other there, do they? Or Hollywood? I'll not mention Holyrood, but <laughs> Or in the world, businesses, and workplaces, it's dog-eat-dog, dog, isn't it? And here in the family of God, we love one another because Christ has loved us and we're part of the family. Lastly, wow, I kind of wish you'd have stopped at verse 13. Not because I don't love verse 14, but because how can anyone preach that? And the Word became flesh. Who is this word? Who is this God? Who is this one I want to talk to you about? It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became flesh, who was incarnated. The word incarnation comes from the Latin incarnate. means literally, it's not a very pleasant word. It means to be in flesh. And dwelt among us. The Greek there actually says he pitched his tent among us. Remember back in the Exodus when Moses had the tent of the tabernacle and the presence of God would come down? And they had to pick up the tent and they had to carry it around with them. That's gone. Because here God's glory is now localized and expressed in the person of his son. The word there, the word, how many words do you use in a day? I know some of you use more words than others. We use a lot of words, don't we? And words are powerful things. If I got up here this morning and didn't speak, and don't anyone say amen, If I got up here this morning and didn't speak, how would you know about me? You can maybe look at me and say, well, he's had a bit of food to have. How would you know anything about me unless I spoke? When you speak, it reveals yourself, doesn't it? And the Hebrew thought the word was the personality expressed. So when the word became flesh, the word of God became flesh. Jesus, in Hebrews, it tells us is the exact image of the living God. When you look at Jesus, you see God. The light that comes into the world and shines in the darkness. God has revealed himself to each and every one of us. Do you ever get somebody ask you, what's God like? He's exactly like Jesus. He loves like Jesus. He walks like Jesus. He talks like Jesus. He's holy like Jesus. He's gracious like Jesus. God in flesh, truly God and truly man. And he came and dwelt among us. The song got it partly right. God was a stranger amongst us. He was one of us. And because he was one of us, he knows our weaknesses and our infirmities. Hebrews talks about this again. See, when you go home today, don't watch Coronation Street. It's a waste of time. Not on. Happy days. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> go home and read the book of Hebrews. Go home and read the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. Learn about your great high priest who prays for you. You know, as a preacher sometimes, and I feel bad about it, I do feel guilty about it, people ask you to pray for him, and I love praying for folk, but sometimes you just, it falls out of your head. But there's one who never forgets to pray for us, never forgets to intercede. In fact, our names are graven on his hand. Before the throne of God above, I have a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. Oh, friend, this morning, he loves you, Christian. He is your heavenly Father. He is the Lord Jesus who has poured your spirit into you. The world has dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. Full of grace and truth. There's a scene in Exodus, in Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7, where Moses, and I love this about uh, do you know, there's one person I feel sorry for in the Bible, and it's Moses. I mean, see, going through the security at Ben-Gurion Airport in Israel, I now understand what he had to put up with for 40 years in the wilderness. <laughs> the Israelis have no concept of queuing. And it's like, it's like a raving warfare to get to the line. And when you get to the line, you're met by a security guard. He says, well, what are you doing here? Well, I want to go home. but <laughs> Moses had one request of God. He had led the people out of the wilderness. He was up on Mount Sinai with God. He got the Ten Commandments and he says to God, let me see your glory. The beauty of God, the inexpressible light and holiness of God. Who would want to see that? God says, Moses, you cannot look in the full face of my glory because it will consume you. You need a mediator. You need somebody to stand between us. But I will do this. I will put you in the cleft of the rock, which is, where's that song, comes from rock of ages, cleft for me. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I will pass by and I will put my hand over you. I'll protect you and then I'll lift my hand and you can see my back. And it's so glorious that your face will shine but you cannot look at my face and live. That was Moses. Jesus comes and we get glimpses of it his transfiguration when he peels back and we see his glory shine out but he comes and he shows us a greater glory than the glory that Moses saw. He comes and shows us a greater glory. He shows us the very heart of God and his glory is most clearly revealed and displayed on Golgotha, on the cross. You look at that cross. You don't see power and might, but you see a Savior giving his life for us because he loved us. You see the wrath of God poured out for sin because sin must be dealt with and must be atoned for. And Jesus paid it all for you and me If glory is beauty, then Golgotha is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Because there my Savior bled and died for me. And then three days later, he walks out of that tomb alive forevermore, full of grace and truth. Truth about us that, yes, we prefer the darkness, we prefer sin, that we need a Savior and cannot save ourselves full of grace, God's reconciling love for us, poured out through Jesus Christ to all who would believe in him and trust in his name, he would give the right to become children of God. What gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold. My hope is only Jesus. To him my life is bound. How strange and divine I could sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side the Savior, he will stay. I labor on, amen, in weariness and rejoicing. But in my need his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. No fear I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid, for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised and overthrew the grave. To this I hold my sin, it has been defeated. Jesus, now and ever my play, oh, the chains are released. I can sing, I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath, oh, Christian, may this be your prayer this morning. I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me when I stand with joy before the throne. Friend, if you're a Christian this morning, I pray when we sing this in a moment, that you will cry out with your heart, to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall replete, yet not I, but Christ in me. And Fred, if you do not know the Lord Jesus this morning, he is prompting you and he's here now by the power of his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit will strive with you And if you want help and that's driving, come and see me. Come and see the leadership team. We will pray with you so that you too may become part of the family of God by his sheer amazing grace. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you Through your word, these things were written for us that we might know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I pray that anything that was not clear for me or that was not helpful would fall to the wayside for, oh Lord, we want you to be seen. We want your people to know and treasure and worship you for their good and their joy. And we want those who do not know you who are dwelling in darkness to have your light shine on them now by the power of your Holy Spirit that they too would become part of the family of God, O Lord. All who believe in you will be received. And now as we continue our worship, help us to sing the truth to that song that we just heard. For indeed it is yet not through us, but the Lord Jesus in us. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.